National Catholic Register. This is Register Radio, bringing light and clarity to the news and topics that affect your life. Youth from every country in the world, except one, has shown up. It's not the World Cup, nor the Olympics. It's World Youth Day in Lisbon, where the heart of the church is beating hard these days. That's a tweet from the EWTN news crew covering this week's events in Lisbon. We are joined by one of those crew members, EWTN News' editorial director, Matthew Bunsen. We'll hear from him in just a moment. And then we'll turn back to the USA, where the Biden administration has ratcheted up abortion politics as state pro-life restrictions are taking effect and ballot initiatives loom. Loretta Brown will bring us the latest in post-Roe America. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register and your host here on Register Radio. And of course, my co-host, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, is there in Lisbon, and he joins us now. Hi, Matthew. Hello, great to be with you. Greetings from a a beautiful country of Portugal. Absolutely, and you are in a media center um, for about how many journalists? I think my estimate, I've been told, about three to 400 journalists. So let's just say that it increased significantly once Pope Francis arrived a couple of days ago. Absolutely. That makes a lot of sense. And, uh, you know, that's also why you're not as crisp as, as usual, I think. <laughs> um, it's, it's hard to have that many people uh, using the Wi-Fi. So, but we are so grateful to that's have you. That's absolutely right. <laughs> We're very grateful, Matthew, um, to have you who you've been watching this wonderful event. As we said, it's it's going on right now. We're talking on Friday and there's yet um, a Stations of the Cross tonight on Friday night. There's a vigil mm-hmm. on Saturday. The Pope's actually going to Fatima on Saturday before that vigil. And then on Sunday, there is a closing mass, which is usually one of the biggest events. So there is a lot to come on this 37th World Youth Day. So Matthew, I just want to know from you, your perspective of being on the ground, what have the highlights been? Yeah, the biggest one immediately that comes to mind, of course, is the arrival of Pope Francis and the enthusiastic, emotional welcome that uh, he received last night uh, here in the uh, Parco Eduardo VII, which is right attached to the media center, we're right off of the park. And to see 500,000 young people, as you said, literally from all over the world, uh, to be there with him. I know this is one of the big events of World Youth Day every time it's held. This one is no exception. And I think Pope Francis said some very poignant things to the young people uh, when he was talking with them last night, uh, including just the important reminder of two things. One, that God loves them, a message that many of young, many young people do not receive anymore. The other is he gave them some homework, and that was to, over the next few days, as they're thinking about the big questions in their lives, and he, said he knows that they are, is have that conversation with Jesus. Talk to him. This is the place to do it. And I, I thought it was a great start uh, to World Youth Day, even though all of these kids had been here now for a couple of days in anticipation of it. Yeah, he had some great off-the-cuff comments. I don't think this was made to youth. I think it was a a gathering of priests. You might be able to correct me, but um, there was comments he made about drawing from 
the Eucharist from adoration, um, that the only That's way right. we can evangelize is to actually draw from uh, the Eucharist. It, beautiful off-the-cuff comments. Yeah, he has said some of the similar things uh, in recent months uh, as, uh, in some ways, as he's been moving toward this about the Eucharist. But you're absolutely right. The comments that he made were to the leaders of the church in Portugal. And it comes at a time when Portugal has been beset by problems of relativism and secularism. And, of course, uh, the recent release of uh, the sex abuse report uh, that uh, found thousands of victims uh, over about the last 70 years or so. He hit that head on. Mm -hmm. uh, by talking about the need for that purification. So his arrival then comes at a time when he said, you might be feeling demoralized. And he used, as he did earlier in the day, imagery of maritime imagery, Portugal being one of the great maritime countries in the world historically, and fixating on this beautiful passage, of course, from the Gospel of Luke about casting your nets, cast into the deep. But then he said, how do you prepare for that? And you're absolutely right, Jeanette. He talked very specifically about the importance of adoration. Absolutely. And these were his words, part of them. Only in adoration, only before the Lord, can the taste and passion for evangelization be recovered. So that was strong words to Portugal's leaders. Um, Matthew, you mentioned that um, part of the demoralization has to do with the sex abuse uh, scandal that uh, Portugal has has been dealing with. The Pope did meet with victims. Do we know much of what happened there? Yeah, uh, well, as a, as a setup, in, in many ways, it's a prelude to it. Uh, in that speech, you talked about it, the need for that process of purification uh, and making sure that all of the victims of abuse are heard, as he put it, the anguished cry of the victims. So immediately after his meeting with the leadership here in Portugal of the, of the church, he had at the absolute nunciature of the Vatican Embassy here in Lisbon a, a very pointed, emotional private meeting uh, with the 13, with 13 of the survivors. And we don't have a lot of details. Uh, it's assumed that it's very similar uh, to many of the encounters that he has had with them that uh, Benedict XVI had in his time, and even Pope John Paul II, but Benedict in particular. It was been described uh, as intense listening by the Pope. We know it went on for about an hour, mm -hmm. and we know that uh, he has wept in these sessions before as he's listened uh, to the details of the horrifying cases. Uh, so I think this is probably no exception to that. Absolutely. You're listening to Register Radio and EWTN. I'm talking to Matthew Bunsen, who is in Lisbon for World Youth Day. Matthew, I mentioned in the introduction that uh, every country but one is represented there at World Youth Day, and that's the South African, excuse me, South Asian country of Maldives. Um, but this is an amazing turnout um, for World Youth Day. <laughs> I mean, it may not it be is. the largest, um, but but wow. <laughs> well, let's put it this way. It, it would be very difficult to, to top the 5 million uh, people <laughs> who showed up uh, for World Youth Day. I think it was in 1995 when John Paul II was in uh, the, the Philippines, Philippines in, yes. in Manila. Uh, but the average over the years has been about a million, 700,000 to a million. Uh, I think the expectation is, as we have seen the numbers increase now over the last few days, uh, that by the end of this 
I've been told by the organizers that uh, this will be somewhere in the neighborhood of 700,000 to a million will be in attendance. Right. So it will be, you always hate to use the term average or compare one youth day to the next uh, because they vary significantly by location. How easy is it for people to get there, that sort of thing. But I would say that the numbers uh, I've been told privately have really exceeded many of the expectations uh, yes. that were in the offing as to what, how many kids are actually going to show up. Right. And and it, I've also heard this is the largest event that Portugal has ever uh, prepared and hosted. So it's a big event for them. I mean, that's, this is not a big country. Um, so I think expectations... Um, uh, or let's say disappointment is is not really what we should be focused on here. There's a lot of reason <laughs> right. to be very joyful and um, and proud of the of the turnout here. Um, I exactly. also wanted and the your your point about joy is important because uh, the the people in Lisbon have been incredibly welcoming. You can imagine what it's like. This is a, a country of 10 million. It's a city of about 500,000. Last night, the population doubled. Right. Uh, with those in attendance, because we had 500,000 in attendance just for this welcoming master, Pope Francis. Now, imagine what it's like to live here, uh, and suddenly you are invaded by a wave of humanity, of kids singing and dancing literally through the night uh, with this enthusiasm, with joy, with prayer, uh, with great reverence at times. Uh, so the Portuguese themselves have welcomed everyone here. I say this seriously because I literally wandered all over the city with open arms and such intense enthusiasm that I think has really been infectious. I want to talk about another aspect of expectation. As this um, event came yeah. closer and closer, um, there was some controversy, especially around what Cardinal-elect Americo Aguiar, who is was in charge of organizing this event, he, he made some comments about this event this, the purpose of the event not being proselytizing, proselytizing, couldn't get the word out. Um, but this event really has been very Christocentric. It really has been all about um, Jesus Christ. So in some ways, the, the controversy that was um, taking place, <laughs> the conversation taking place over the last few weeks has kind of fallen flat. It's, it, is, it, is it flat? <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I think uh, the two key aspects, uh, we go back all the way back to the 1980s, 1985, when John Paul II established World Youth Day, and what was he calling on? He was calling for everyone who comes here, the young people who come here, to have that encounter with Christ and uh, to evangelize. Well, if uh, there's any indication, uh, and it starts with Pope Francis, he has been intensely Christocentric over the last two days in his presentations, and he has been especially hitting the theme of evangelization. He spoke very clearly about evangelization uh, in his meeting with the leaders of Portugal, and he knows that any message that he gives is going to be, yes, it might be delivered to a particular church, a national church, but it has international, it has ramifications for the universal church. So he is saying very pointedly, that we are a church of evangelization. We are called to evangelize. It's wonderful to, to hear that and to see it. I mean, we've seen it in the in the video coverage um, from EWTN. 
there's plenty of material that can be found at EWTN's uh, site called WorldYouthDayCentral.com. We've got articles and videos there that just show the joy um, that is contagious there in in Lisbon. There's an area of of World Youth Day called City of Joy. This was a vocations fair. Um, where religious communities and priests are represented so that they can talk to young people. There was an event, um, Father, uh, uh, sorry, uh, Bishop <laughs> Barron spoke at. Um, it was a U.S. gathering. I think more than 10,000 um, people uh, attended. Is that right, uh, Matthew, this U.S. event? with That's um, right. Okay, with uh, Ed, uh, Bishop Edward Burns. And, um, that's I right. Think yeah, several I think other there were bishops. about twenty thousand or so. That's right. Uh, and we're seeing that uh, as part of uh, what a lot of these national churches are doing. The USCCB did it. The U.S. bishops did it. We saw it with the Spanish bishops, with the Polish bishops, and others, where they're bringing all of the pilgrims together and having what I'm hearing is really intense, solid catechesis here. Uh, and that's been a recurring theme also in a number of the rise, what they call rise up sessions, which are the through newfangled uh, catechetical sessions, but based on everything that we're seeing in our reporting, these have, in most cases, been very solid, straightforward, traditional catechesis, focused on a couple of key themes like mercy and uh, social friendship and integral ecology. Right. I do want to close on one really important aspect of World Youth Day, and this is one of the reasons I brought up Bishop Barron's speech um, to this U.S. gathering and the City of Joy Vocations Fair. Uh, at the U.S. gathering, uh, Bishop Burns of Dallas mentioned that in a, a U.S. survey, 38% of men in the priesthood and women and men in religious life in the United States attended a World Youth Day. That's a huge number. So at this event <laughs> with Bishop Barron and Bishop Burns, they actually asked those young people to think about that and to uh, raise their hand. It was a vo vocations call. Um, if they were considering a vocation, and and literally the 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 crowd erupted with with congratulations and support and and um, claps for those people um, who stood up, and I think that's that's part of what World Youth Day is all about. This is the future of our church. That's right. Yeah, we go back to 1993 and the, the legendary World Youth Day in Denver, uh, where we had born in that moment what has come to be called the John Paul II generation of priests. It would not surprise me at all if there is something similar in years to come in, in countries all over the world, people that we'll never meet or know anything about uh, who found their vocation of the priesthood or their vocation of religious life here uh, in Lisbon. Thank you so much, Matthew, for joining us. Great to be with you. When we come back, we'll talk to the Register's Loretta Brown about the Biden administration playing politics with human life. This is Register Radio on EWTN. Stay tuned for more. If you need your news on the go, read the Register online. But if you want to take your time and savor the stories, then subscribe to the National Catholic Register's print edition. And with award-winning Catholic journalism that goes beyond what you'll find from any secular news service, you'll get the real story behind the events that unfold over the course of the year. Try the Register for free today and get it delivered to your home, office, or parish. Join the Catholics who depend on the Register for its faithful and courageous reporting. 
Get six issues free today online at ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. That's ncregister.com forward slash radio or call 800-421-3230 and mention code radio. The National Catholic Register. Read faithfully. Let's return to Register Radio on EWTN. Welcome back. I'm Jeanette DeMello, Executive Director of the National Catholic Register, and I'm joined by Loretta Brown, the Register's Washington, D.C. correspondent, who often covers issues of pro-life and abortion policy. Welcome back, Loretta. Hey, Jeanette. Great to be back on here. Yes, it's good to talk to you, and it seems to me that in the past couple of weeks, um, and maybe it's just that I haven't been so focused on this lately, but it seems like in the past couple of weeks the White House has kind of picked up the pace in um, in pressuring uh, the states on abortion policy. Um, I'm thinking especially um, about Kamala Harris in an ABC news interview earlier in the week just lamenting all of the pro-life laws that were coming into uh, effect now and the ballot initiatives on, you know, coming in, in the course of this fall. So, um, wow, she's, she's sort of picking up the pace. I think, you know, at the beginning of the year, President Biden in his State of the Union address called pro-life laws extreme. You know, he, he really uh, had some negative things to say about the laws that had gone into effect uh, after Dobbs, and I think that really has set the tone, and Kamala Harris especially, you're right, I mean, she's been traveling and speaking a lot to abortion policy lately, and I think certainly ahead of the, ahead of November, but ahead of 2024 as well, the White House just wants to strongly signal we, you know, are, we want Roe back, you know, we want, I mean, even beyond that, right, they really want to signal that they are, you know, looking to expand abortion and um, you know, 100% in on this issue, and Kamala Harris especially. It, there's been all sorts of commentary noticing that she's she's been, you know, kind of the mouthpiece on this issue, um, right. really criticizing criticizing state uh, pro-life policy. Right. So that July 31st interview that I mentioned, um, she she it was in Iowa, and I believe there was a restriction that went into place in Iowa, although it may be caught up in, in lawsuits, as is typically happening when there are abortion restrictions uh, on the state level. And she was just lamenting about <laughs> how, how this is so bad for women, and it's preventing them from things like getting miscarriage care, I mean, which is blatantly false. Most of the restrictions actually have exceptions in them um, for uh, the health of a women, woman or something like that. So um, she was really pushing a lot of false information. But what really got me is that, you know, she said, but I'm really, wor- I'm really worried, but I have faith in the American people that, um, you know, they're going to get this right when they have the chance to, to vote on it. <laughs> um, she's so out of touch, Loretta, with uh, the fact that a good majority, a strong majority of people do want some restrictions on abortion. Yeah, that always hits me when I hear some of this rhetoric on abortion from the White House as they talk about these extreme bans, right, these extreme laws, um, out of touch, dangerous for women. But if you look at, uh, you know, support for abortion limits by um, gestational age, 
you know, even Gallup, right, these main large polling institutions show that the vast majority of Americans, they don't want abortions to be available past 15 weeks. They don't want these late-term abortions, and most want, you know, some sort of restriction. They don't want this kind of broad access to abortions. The White House just pushes. So really that, that line of reasoning of, you know, unlimited access to abortion is the extreme it's the extreme stance, really. Absolutely. I, I agree with you there. So, you know, we've been talking about the fact that there have been uh, restrictions going into effect now, um, and there are also ballot initiatives uh, coming in the next election cycle. Uh, what's at stake right now? Yeah, so really one big thing coming up this election cycle is, um, is in Ohio, We've got a, a ballot initiative in Ohio that um, it, it's on, essentially it would enshrine abortion access into the state's constitution. And I think it, it's going to be a big deal for a lot of reasons. And one of them is pro-lifers actually haven't been doing very well in these state ballot initiatives post-Dobbs. And there have been discussions of that. There's, you know, a lot of money being spent by the abortion lobby. But there's also, you know, it, it's only, it's a little over a year out from Dobbs now, so we're kind of the dust is settling on this issue. We're kind of seeing, you know, how, where voters stand, what kind of messaging can be used. So in Ohio, um, you know, typically a, a more red pro-life state in a lot of ways. So um, we're going to see how voters approach this. How Because this, this uh, amendment to the Constitution is very <laughs> extreme in some ways. I mean, I talked to, to those kind of fighting against it. I talked to some legal experts about it, and it would include not only late-term abortions, but the language could allow minors to access abortion without their parents knowing, and even threatening, like, the state's existing health and safety requirements on abortion and abortion clinics. And so there's there's two things going on there. Um, on August 8th, Ohioans will vote to raise the, the majority needed to amend their state constitution from a simple 51% majority to 60%, and then the vote on the amendment itself, this this pro-abortion amendment will be in in November. So depending on how that vote, um, you know, very, very, just around the corner now, August 8th, depending on how that goes, it could be harder, you know, to pass that uh, that pro-abortion amendment. So pro-lifers, a lot of them have been pushing to, to raise that majority, and their argument there is that it's too easy for out-of-state interest groups to come in and make changes to the Constitution. I mean, Ohio is one of the handful of states that even lets that direct, um, you know, vote to, to amend the Constitution happen with with such a, a low percentage there, the 51%. So, um, so very interesting. Uh, let me just recap that. Um, yes, let me, let me recap that because it is very confusing. So on August 8th, uh, there's a vote and this would raise the majority needed. So if you're, if, if a pro-lifer is looking at this on, on that amendment, um, they're saying, yes, we want to raise the majority, so special interest groups uh, uh, can't influence us so much, right? So that would be right. a yes vote and uh, for, for a pro-lifer who's considering this. And then in, in November, this is a, a, an amendment that would increase abortion access. Uh, and so pro-lifers considering this are saying, vote no. Um, because, you know, obviously we don't want to enshrine abortion access into 
uh, the Ohio State Constitution. That's what the pro-lifers are telling us. So it is confusing, you know, if a pro-life um, a pro-life voter is looking at this and they're like, okay, I'm voting yes on one and no on another. How, how do I make sense of this? So I actually had a comment, uh, uh, some feedback on your story that you you did that. Uh, you know, they were like, wow, I really didn't understand this until I read um, Loretta Brown's story on Ohio, on the Ohio amendments. So <laughs> Loretta, I just want to uh, let you know that people are reading and, and um, you know, using your work to, to make sense of this. So um, kudos uh, to that, that hard work. And I invite our listeners to go to ncregister.com and uh, look up uh, this story. Um, you can do it by just searching Ohio Amendment in our search bar, and I'm sure you'll find it. But I did want to turn, Loretta, to one more um, aspect of, of this push in the Biden administration, and that's his push uh, to uh, circumvent uh, state pro-life laws um, with a change to the health care privacy rule, which is usually called HIPAA. Um, what's happening here? Yeah, so there is a, a proposed rule change um, to create essentially this exception that in certain cases, information on, you know, quote-unquote reproductive health, very much including abortion rights, should be kept from authorities. Um, one scenario that was brought up to me a lot was the mailing of abortion pills, and states just even trying to enforce their laws around that, um, especially when there's, like, dangerous abortion pills that, you know, not FDA-approved, causing complications. It's, it's kind of scary to think about because some of the language of this law would prevent even, you know, looking into those scenarios. And then there were concerns raised about even in, you know, in states where there's abortion widely allowed, even just enforcing like health and safety guidelines on abortion clinics, like how much of an inquiry can, can be made? And the answer was like, it seems like not a lot of, of an inquiry can be made if, if this is all ruled as health, private health information, you know, authorities can't look into this. And one thing, too, was they, they changed the language in HIPAA of person to exclude an unborn person, um, to exclude, a, this is like, a fetus, you know, that they specifically, which wrote in, you know, not including a fetus, an embryo, which was so strange that, you know, that they went out of their way to do that. It was, it was something, you know, that's not, not excluded. Before, you know, currently, before. but if it, right. it goes into effect, yeah, then, then it, it would marks be. a line in the sand. You know, when you start excluding unborn children from being persons, that really marks a, a line in the sand. I want to reference uh, ncregister.com again. The two articles we've been talking about, is the Biden administration attempting to circumvent pr state pro-life laws with a health care privacy rule change? And the other one, ballot initiative battle. Ohio pro-lifers face abortion groups push to enshrine abortion in the state constitution. Loretta Brown, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Jeanette. Remember, for more news, analysis, and commentary, check out the National Catholic Register online at ncregister.com. Thanks for joining us on Register Radio here on EWTN. For Matthew, producer, my co-host, and our producer, Michael McCall, I'm Jeanette DeMello, and until next week, I pray, God bless you.